On episode 91 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, how to expand your employees' capacity with Bob Glazer. People are always trying to get more productivity out of someone just in the concept of their job. I think you can get so much more by trying to engage that person to just be a better person and achieve more overall. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. On today's show, I'm talking with Bob Glazer. He's CEO and founder of Acceleration Partners. They're a performance marketing agency with clients all over the world. He may be best known for Friday Forward. It's his weekly inspirational newsletter that goes out to more than 35,000 people. In this podcast, we talk about building a strong culture, even when your workforce is remote, productivity, and core values. And now, here's Bob. Okay, Bob. So for those who don't know, can you kind of introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Bob Glazer. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Acceleration Partners, and we are a global performance marketing firm. We help brands set up what's called affiliate programs, which are basically performance-based partnerships with companies that want to sell things and want their marketing partners to help share in the risk and pay for when it works. We have about 120 people now across four continents. We just launched in uh, Asia out of Singapore. We have a UK team and a small team in Latin America, and we're really trying to work with global brands to, to launch and grow these win-win partnerships. And so when I was looking at the podcast schedule today, one of my coworkers was like, oh, this is the Friday Forward guy. And I was like, I had not heard of this before. And then she was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So kind of explain what that is for people. Sure. I, I'll answer that. But let me just jump up one step, which I think is partially what you're asking. Let's do it. So there's what we do, the company does. And I think we've put a lot of thought and consideration into how we built our company. Mm -hmm. And as a marketing agency, really trying to be different, focus on culture, flexibility, leadership, autonomy. As part of that, I started an internal note to my team, I think three years ago, that was called a Friday inspiration where I just took a quote or an idea and, and sent it to them. I didn't think anyone was really even reading them. And I started <laughs> getting notes and forwarded along. At some point I decided to share it with some outside people and, and, and create a list. I was doing BCCs and now there's almost 40,000 people globally that get it each week. And it's really hit a chord with people. It really it has nothing to do with our business. I think it's more a personal passion of mine to mm -hmm. both challenge and connect with people in order to to create change. One of, the, one of the facets of our culture is that we believe in capacity building and holistic kind of development that if we can, we've been growing 30% a year for almost 10 years. So wow. I, our needs of our people, you know, you tend to break a lot of people when you grow that quick. We want everyone to stay along for the journey. So we focus on improving people overall and we find that we get better business performance out of them, but they are just better parents and individuals and present better husband and wife. I, I always say you're never stressed out at home and then walk in like the perfect picture of calm to work. It just <laughs> does, it doesn't work that way. So we have, it's cool. We have a lot of people now, we have some Slack channels around this running races for the first time and doing things they've never done before. And we, nice. we really see a correlation with their performance uh, in work as, 
as their capacity increases outside of work. Is this what your culture was from the very beginning? Yes, we try to do things differently. So we, we started out with a culture of flexibility and, mm -hmm. and accountability. We're in performance marketing, so it's very easy for us to measure performance. It's also it was a lot of people who had kids and wanted to work hard. Uh, we're about 70% women, but who really needed some flexibility in order to, to be able to do that. So I think it evolved around our, our needs. Three to four years ago, I think we hit that point where most companies do. Every, every time you double, you break half your people or processes, people said. So we, we sat down, came up with a plan, honed our core values from six to three, really said this, this is where we're going to be in three to four years. And a, a lot of people opted out of, of that journey and we found some other people coming in. But that is a very common thing that what works in the beginning, you know, doesn't, doesn't work in the, in the middle or on. So I, I, I think we really doubled down three to four years ago and, and started defining those core values and living exclusively by those three core values. And so when you're building a culture like this, what are some of the things that are breaking or that you saw break that you've been able to kind of shore up since you've been growing this much? I was really pushed by someone at a, something I went to. I think when you have six core values or seven core values, people inherently can't remember all of them, right? There's an <laughs> acronym true. or they write them down. Yeah. And when we're trying to evaluate people on the core values, we got into a lot of discussions on what, oh, John's five out of six and Sarah's kind of five out of six, but struggles on this one. And when we got it down to own it, embrace relationships and excel and improve, you just had to be three out of three. And we were able to back test some of the people that didn't work out. We actually had a core value of accountability. And when we were smaller and we needed people to be hungry and do everything and sort of put out fires, we realized that a lot of people felt accountability was being accountable for inputs. Mm -hmm. And like, I, you know, I put in the time, I did the thing or whatever. And what we realized was, as we were growing, we wanted people who were just who owned it. We, you mm -hmm. know, that's where we evolved accountability. Another one is to own it. Own it means like there's stuff I can't control. There's things that are ambiguous, but I own the whole thing. And, and what we saw was some people who in your early stage of your business, you actually value all these firefighters and you like mm -hmm. kind of people that can play any position. And then you reach a point where you go to some people and we had these discussions say, okay, now we can afford a first baseman and a third baseman, a second baseman. So where, where, do you want to be an all-star first baseman or third? And they say, well, I like a little of this. And they say, well, that's not what we need anymore. I don't need you to put out fires. I need you to tell me you're going to play first base and own everything that comes with first base. And it was really clear the people that they weren't comfortable with the ambiguity. They were comfortable that they could put in 14 hours and attack the problem. But it really, we want the people to just say, yeah, I got it. Like I, I own it Like I, with everything that comes with it. So that was an example of where a couple different aspects merged into this core value. And we have a real clear definition of what it means. And if you don't like ambiguity or fast pace, you will not like working here. And, <laughs> and we're, we're comfortable with that. I think I say all the time, I think the best culture, the definition of a great culture is just completely consistent with what it says and what it does. I think objectively, there should be different cultures for different people. And they should be able to look and say, oh, if I was a college athlete, and this culture is all about competition. You know, we give out trophies, we, and it's consistent about that. It should, it should attract the right people. Mm -hmm. Everyone I know who comes here otherwise, who has a terrible experience with a leader in a culture, their feedback is they said one thing and they did, they did another. We have a lot of discussions with people where this isn't the right fit. They just realize we really are this and it's not them. So I love the own it thing. And when you were saying that, that you had accountability as one too, I'm like, that's part of owning it. I mean, if you own it, you're accountable to it. Can you kind of go through the other core values so we sure. can kind of deep dive into them? There's three. So again, everyone should be able to remember it. You don't need an <laughs> acronym. It's own it and embrace relationships. And actually those two 
concepts together form something we call interdependence. So we want people who are, because of our flexible work environment, we need people who are comfortable acting alone. They like autonomy. They like decision-making. They're willing to just make it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they generally believe that they are better working with people smarter than and part of a team. You can imagine you'd have both sides of that spectrum, like too in much individualist and then too much kind of group think. Mm -hmm. We really like that. Like I'm willing to make any decision, but I also love bouncing stuff off a team and whatever, but I'll make it. Right. I think some people just won't make any decision mm -hmm. without talking to 100 people. The way that we work, not a good environment for them. Is that somewhat of a immaturity issue? Because I do feel as people are more comfortable and they've been in the role for a while, they're more comfortable saying, I'll make the decision on this. I'm not going to wait for 100 people to tell me that is the decision I should go with. Yeah, I think it's more of character and personality. Mm -hmm. It may be on the sort of introvert, extrovert, like I just have to talk to people and discuss it. And yeah, there's certainly training elements that can make you better at that. But I, I do think it is a more, there are definitely cultures where it's it's sort of by committee and things are discussed and you don't act alone. And I, again, I say that it is not a right or wrong. It's just, it's just different. I have a great friend who runs a company, similar industry. They're very practical jokers. Like that's part of their culture. They wear... <laughs> orange vests and stuff and they're like it's not it's not me i fully respect it and it's a great culture and the people that go there like it but it's not me and that's why i think it's a great culture if i was applying to both companies i should really see that i'm an acceleration partners person and not a that company person hmm interesting like i don't know if i'd feel comfortable in an environment where i thought people were might be playing jokes on me at any minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the people that are or who love the joking stuff, or I always give that example of the company that says, look, we are about competing to the death. And if you don't make it, then you're out or, you know, the bonuses go to the top 20 percent of people, not the other. The hardcore people who like that would kind of respect that. They'd say, oh, I, right. didn't, I didn't win. And then other people would say that doesn't feel like something that I I like. So I, from a leadership standpoint, the easiest and best thing to be is authentic. It's just mm -hmm. to put up and say, here's who we are. Here's what we value. And, you know, I get really upset or I want people to bring to me things where we are being incongruous. But I would say most of the discussions were so, with someone who is not working out is, hey, look, this is kind of what we are. And I'm just seeing that it doesn't seem to be who you are. It doesn't seem to be the right fit. It's not going to change. Mm -hmm. So why don't we find you a job somewhere else or, or do something else? Because one thing that someone said to me once, which I loved, is that a friend of mine is the CEO of a company. He lets everyone else do the interview. He's, he's from the military, so this style works more for him <laughs> than me. He's the last interview. And basically, the interview goes like this. You saw our core values. They're A, B, and C. Think really hardly whether you like those core values or they're you. Because if they're you, this will be the best job you ever have and see Sally and Steve and been here 10 years, great. If they're not you, you won't even last 30 days here. Mm. And that that is his his whole interview. I think there's something to that. I, I've definitely seen people who say they think they sound good, but it is really not, it's not who they are. Mm -hmm. Going back to kind of the relationships thing, uh, I was listening to a podcast about design thinking and kind of really trying to understand the issue that there is without coming at it with your bias. Is that another thing that is helpful when you have those relationships with people? You know, you may have a idea of how it should be done, but if you bounce it off other people, you may see that there is probably a better way of doing it or at least uh, something you can take from their advice to make it better. Right. You want the best idea, not necessarily that the best idea is yours, right? right. That's the that's the people that we want. And and because that's a core value, we train on that. We give people very practical things to do on how to 
be better at relationships. You know, one of our rules sort of in client service is to always start off with a open-ended question or something. How was your weekend? Because, you know, the example I always give is, uh, you know, I'm talking to a client. I say, Joe, how was your weekend? Oh, it's my mom's in the hospital. It's terrible. Mm. If I never asked that question, Joe was going to be like angry and cantankerous the whole conversation. I was going to think that I did something wrong or the data was wrong. Perfect example, somehow addressing the person as a person and not mm -hmm. jumping into business. And that probably is good for understanding how the conversation would go. And, you know, at that point you might say, hey, let's make this brief. I know you've you probably are, got stuff on your mind. We'll take care of the important stuff and maybe we touch base next week, you know, when you're feeling a little bit more together. Yeah, there's so much psychology in client service to make mm -hmm. sure that you're not overdoing something the wrong way. You know, another thing, when a client frantically asks for, another thing we train on a lot, frantically asks for something that is out of scope or report or something, there's four or five why questions. Mm -hmm. and, and rather than running off and spending 14 hours on that, we find out that a new boss started and this person was asking for that. And we say, well, you know how we could solve that? We could send them this from last month. So rather than responding to what they're asking for, we try to get to the root cause of the issue. And we, again, we train pretty extensively around these things related to our, our core values so that people know how to actualize them on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Can we move on to your third core value? Yeah, pr probably one of the biggest. So excel and improve. We try to be excellent at everything that we do and we are always improving. And so we have a standard, but we can always think that that standard can be approved. So we talk a lot about the AP way and trying to standardize and trying to make sure that everything we do is high quality, but particularly in digital marketing, we understand we can't sit still. We've got to be innovating and we really push that and sell and approve both professionally and personally. I share the things I'm working on. I'm usually running some race I haven't run or doing something physically I haven't done. I think it it's very connected to getting out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. both personally and professionally. Yeah, especially in the realm of marketing, it's constantly changing. And just from five years ago, I mean, the stuff that you need to be on top of has completely changed. How do you deal with employees who, you know, kind of find their expertise and they want to hold on to that even when the market is shifting to a different space and they still want to say like, well, I'm the expert on this because this is how we did it 10 years ago? Because we have such a focus on performance, I always say like we have really high expectations, but we also focus on coaching everyone and trying to get them. It's a high bar, but we try to coach everyone and get them over the bar. You know, we don't want people not to get over. Some leaders want to be the one that jumps over the bar and everyone falls behind them. That's a very, I don't think that's really leadership. I that's think that's toxic, yeah. showmanship, right? But, but I think that that sorts itself out in terms of if you're doing the same thing and it's just not working anymore, there'll be a noticeable change in your performance and the performance that you're getting for our clients. And, and eventually that will become an issue because that's what, you know, like I said, that's what, that's really what we look at. We, we root for everyone, train anyone, coach everyone, but we don't excuse performance. I mean, we have very direct discussions around, hey, look, we're just not hitting the goals for this client or this project. The goals were really clear. You know, something needs to be done differently. It's also interesting. Sometimes you're working on a project and you think you have the best solution and then you test it out and it actually is not very good. And then you have like a, you know, your second or third or fourth best option. You're like, well, let's try that. And that ends up just succeeding beyond your wildest dreams. And you're like, it really doesn't matter so much what I think about how this is going to work. It's more about how it's actually going to work, right? Yeah, there's a Friday Forward that I'm going to write soon from a passage I read where some venture capitalist said, you know, Steve Jobs always gets it right. 
And it's not because about him being right. He just wants the right answer. He doesn't care if it's his answer. He just, you know, he wants, and Jeff Bezos actually just said something very similar about, he promotes people who looking back, they were right most of the time or got the right solution most of the time, you know, and, and I think there's, there's something powerful to that. You should, as a team, you should want to get it right. It shouldn't matter where it came from or you're iterated off, off each other. One thing we've been focusing on lately too that came out of a training session I was on, a guy ran something called the fourth option. We tend to present closed-ended options to our teams a lot. So, mm. you know, hey, it's option A or B or the compromise C <laughs> in the middle. And there was a great exercise in this work where you just take those off the table. And, and instead of saying, hey, choose from the options that I'm putting out there, like the obvious, the obvious, and the compromised, and say, all right, let's can't do any of these. What would you guys do? Mm. And you start getting such better answers. Coaches we worked with over years have really, it's the one thing they've honed in on our leader team, stop presenting closed-ended options to mm. your people and asking them to vote on them. They're just your idea. You know, you're asking, right. which one of my ideas do you like better? <laughs> Rather than saying like, how else could we do this? I've also seen with leaders where maybe you have like three options and they're like at the meeting, okay, we have option A, B, and C. I love A, B, and C suck. What do you guys think? You're like, well, I'm not going to say B and C are good. Anything. Yeah. I would encourage people to try this. Do this exercise where you literally take all of the traditional options off the table. So if we if we can't do this and we can't do this, what else can we do? And then you will really get some different points of view on it. I love it. So when you're working with your clients, how do you talk to them? How do you get them to open up to see what their real what they want as their metrics for success, what they want as, you know, trying to understand them as a brand? Asking a lot of questions. We have a pretty intensive onboarding process in terms mm -hmm. of getting the goals, getting clear. You know, one of the things we kind of joke around is like, you cannot have any expectations that you haven't shared with us, right? We don't want to start the project and then find out you were looking to grow 500% because we wouldn't have signed up for that ha had we knew that. So, you know, there's always a tension between, I think, sales and delivery. We have a very extensive process where like our sales team takes all of these notes, wraps it up, actually does an internal debrief with the client team about everything that they understood that was important to the client. And then they all kick off together so that they're on the, they're on the same page. That's very smart because the sales guys tend to oversell and then you're like, oh man, we really have to deliver this and I don't know if we can. And you know, you get the sales guy pushing back on you. I said, we'd get this to them. Yeah. We had an incident recently where there was the, the client was saying, look, this is not what I signed up for and all this stuff. And we had pretty clear notes and everything recorded from the kickoff. And we said, look, I, I mean, this is what we had written down. If you change it, that's fine. But I, I, I think it was a type of case where if we didn't take such good transcription and, and all that stuff, we would have not have had such a defensible position. Our sales team actually does not. They're very consultative. They don't overpromise and underdeliver. But I can't, I mean, I'm sure you've seen so many times where people say stuff that was never said. I, the story changes, yeah. you know, so quickly around, well, we, we were promised this. I'm like, I, no one would have said that. I, I know <laughs> they never would have said that. We never say that. Mm -hmm. That was an uncommunicated expectation right. that, that, that you had. We can't read your minds. A lot of times the question that we'll start with is, what does success look like to you? If right. you were successful, what would what would happen in your business? You know, and then we can kind of try and bridge that gap. Well, and, and you got to ask good questions, and that's what we train the team on. So here's a common one that comes up in in, in our: We want to grow this channel 250 percent next year. Okay, question for you: How fast is the company growing? Uh, we're growing 10 percent a year. And what are the expectations for channel B? Well, they're growing 10% a year. 
okay, so how, how is it that we're going to grow this channel 10 times more than than the company? And, and it may seem like obvious, but what you find is like they were just expecting us to get blood out of a stone. Right. And, and the, then the conversation becomes, we could do 10x, but we need five more people half a million dollars more in budget is that oh well then you know we, we try to get make sure we never get stuck with the high target without the actual things that we would need the commitments from the company to achieve that target we'll be right back and now it's time to meet a 360 solutions strategic partner so I'm Lana with Echo9 Solutions. I came to 360 when I retired from the Army. I spent 28 years in the Army training soldiers, building them one by one. I was a first sergeant at the NCO Academy for a long time. I was an instructor at the Recruiting Academy, recruited for a long time. And when I got out of the Army, I still wanted to do that. And I was researching consulting companies, leadership, and again, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And I ran across 360 Solutions, and I actually went up to Waco and looked at their products. They were beautiful. I mean, they, they looked good, they looked professional. I'm like, if I'm gonna go and put myself out there in front of people, I want to project professionalism in everything that I do. If, like Lana, you're ready to help organizations develop their leaders, consider partnering with 360 Solutions. Our high-performance leadership framework helps organizations run more efficiently with an engaged workforce. Find out about partnering with 360 Solutions at 360solutions.com partner. Again, that's 360solutions.com partner. And now back to the show. They're like, we want to go viral. Well, there are so many different variables in that. It's it's almost impossible to say, like, yes, this is going to go viral. You just don't know. I want to talk a little bit more about your culture. It sounds like you guys have a lot of goals and targets. Sounds like a very high-paced working environment, but you also want to be flexible. So how do you do that and encourage your employees to, like, take the time to do stuff like the races you were talking about but still hit all their targets? Well, first of all, we structurally provide flexibility. Here are the targets. We're not declaring how, and they're really set by the clients. We're not declaring when and how you have to work. Obviously, there's certain parameters around client service and being available. So they can design the right day and week for them so long as the outcomes are met. I think we try to show people and associate that stuff like taking breaks and exercising and doing this stuff is actually better for their overall productivity and the quality of work. We always say we do not reward heroes hours here. Like no one's impressed that you worked 18 hours in a day. We're impressed that you did the right things right. and not and not everything. And then we also do some specific policies. Like we recently started reimbursing people for part of a vacation in which they completely unplugged for five days and have no contact with the team. Mm-hmm. And what that actually also forces them to do is set up processes and things that don't depend on them. A lot of the reason why they had to be in that loop was because they didn't set up the right checks and balances Ah. without them. So we use some financial incentive to actually encourage people to to disconnect. That kind of also leads to the idea of this hero person who they like being the only person that understands how a certain process or something works because they feel valuable, but at the same time, they can never take a vacation. Yeah, and (laughs) and we had someone start recently. I'd still do our cultural onboarding for every new employee every other week. 
And the person said, you know, I, I've been amazed since I started. Everyone has offered to help me and do this at, at my old company. If you knew something, you didn't tell anyone. <laughs> it was your competitive <laughs> advantage. By the way, this company is going through some tough time. I mean, it's not a surprise. I, I, I'm writing about this in this week's Friday Forward, but I, I think the greatest leadership sin that could be committed is a company that sort of kills itself from within. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not the market that kills it. It's not competitor. It is it is actual infighting. It's like friendly fire between there's no greater leadership failure than having your team basically fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. So how do you combat against, because a lot of people have been conditioned to think that my work hours from are from this to this, and I'm going to sit at my desk and work from this time to this time. But, you know, Joe down there, I, I never see him. I mean, I know he's hitting all of his his marks and stuff, but I don't think he's really working as hard as I am because he's not here. We just don't celebrate it, right? I think what you reward and what you celebrate, someone tells us that they work 18 hours. That's not what we celebrate. We celebrate the results and look at this campaign that was done and look at them finding the 80-20 rule and look at what they don't do. So we're we're very focused on what what it is that we reward and celebrate. Our, our, our Excel and Improve Awards is about doing something better or smarter. It's not about more volume. I had a situation just last week where I was trying to get off after the 4th of July because, you know, 4th of July was on Wednesday. It was very annoying for work week productivity. I'm sure you had the same issue there. I was trying to get Thursday and Friday off, and I know I had certain things I needed to accomplish before that. So I was communicating with people more heavily on Monday and Tuesday, shoring up stuff that I needed to have done. And then I, you know, I stayed a little bit late on Tuesday because I know I was going to be gone Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Is that kind of how your employees operate? They kind of just say, you know, if this is something I want to do, I want to take this trip. I need to make sure all my ducks are in a row before I head out. Yeah. And, and to what we were talking about before, we encourage them to set up the right systems and processes that don't make it reliant on them and to really do that. We have a Slack channel called Commit to Three. One of the things a lot of people do in the morning is when they get up, it's like, here are the three most important things I need to do today. And if I get these three things done, it would have been a good day. And then mm-hmm. they report in by the end of the day, one out of three, two out of three. It's a self-accountability thing, but we try to really a lot around urgent and important. Like what is truly the most important things? If something doesn't get done, how do I make sure it's the less important thing and not the more important thing? So for us here in our office, we have kind of a shared to-do list type of system. And the way I've always set it up is I'll like stack my priority list based on what I need to work on first. And it allows you to separate by today, upcoming and later. So I kind of say today is today, upcoming is this week, later is other times. And it was interesting to see people using that in different ways. Some people didn't segment their list at all. And they felt very frustrated because they had 30 tasks sitting there staring them in the face when I'm only ever trying to look at like I'll maybe have five in my to-do list for the day and if I finish all five then I'll you know I'll add some from the upcoming that I need to start working on do you find people really having issues like prioritizing their task I mean you said that's the the commit to three is a good way to do it is there any other tips you have to keep people from getting overloaded yeah we focus on the Stephen Covey, the urgent and important, the Eisenhower framework. I think we've trained a lot on that and and really showing people you're doing the stuff that's urgent and not important because it feels good, right? You got these 10 things checked off, but what we really needed to do was you spend an hour on 10 things that didn't matter and you really need to spend an hour 
of the five hours that are needed on this big project that's not due for two weeks because eventually then everything becomes urgent and important. Right. So I, I use Evernote, we talk about strategies to keep stuff out of your peripheral view. Like it's fine to keep a list. Like I have a list of the, if I just feel tired and whatever and I need to knock off the, call the gas company, th- those are on a list. But if I don't do those, other than my gas being cut off uh, or maybe not having <laughs> enough dry cleaning shirts, nothing major is gonna happen. We talk a lot about and try to train people on how to prioritize and using the, making sure that urgent and important are first, they have to be, but then important and not urgent comes before urgent and not important. How do you guys handle meetings? Carefully. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've, we've recently moved, a couple of things we've done that are interesting. One, we made people quantify the cost of every meeting in the invite. We gave a sort of dollar per hour based on level. So like an all company meeting might say $7,400 in the subject, I think, just so people had an awareness of how many people that they were inviting. We also really focus a little bit recently on on memos and the Amazon style. We try not to have update meetings. Like mm-hmm. the goal is to have everyone come in with the information they need. We have an aligned set of cross-functional meetings that that should be where it's actually saving time by going over and discussing the the critical things. So we have a waterfall strategy. Our exec team has a once a week 90 meetings. Each person on that team then on that group leads another team. Their departmental meeting right happens right after that. People have one-on-ones, but we try to not have a lot of other standing meetings. We have some, you know, cross-functional once a month meetings, but We've tried to really eliminate update meetings in terms of we've used memos as a way to, if if I'm getting on a call just to tell everyone what I'm doing and there's no discussion or dialogue or outcome, we've we've tried to eliminate those meetings. How do you help, I'm guessing especially new employees, but maybe older employees too, that aren't quite meeting the bar? What's the conversation look like when you talk to them about them not meeting what their expectations are. We have an open transition program where we we just have open discussions always and trying to get to the root of an issue because I think you're often dealing with the symptom and sometimes the symptom is they're not performing at work. Something's going on outside of work. They need to just get their head in the game. Like that's fixable, right? Mm -hmm. We also, you could dig in and find out that well, this person just really doesn't like working from home. Well, that's not fixable. So that's a different discussion because we're probably not going to not going to change that. There's sometimes the person is in the wrong seat or, or otherwise. So the biggest thing is for us to have a discussion as soon as we see it. And I think the earliest is, is the best and have an honest discussion about what that means and put it into that bucket of, is this something the employee can fix? Is this something that we can fix that we want to fix? Or is this something that we can't fix. And, and, and so we're better off calling it now before, you know, any bad feelings on, on both sides. So we really just try to start discussions early and honest and, and you get a lot more data. Like I said, you could have something that is really like an employee who's upset about your reimbursement policy in, let's say in healthcare. Well, let's say we didn't talk about it, then, then that's really bugging them because they switched from their spouse's plan and it's starting to affect their performance. So you start seeing the symptoms in all these areas, mm-hmm. but you don't know the root. If you're able to discuss that and get to the root, you could say, oh, you know what? We haven't updated that in years. You're right. That needs updating. Mm-hmm. And boom, we fixed it. Or, you know what? We feel really like we're at the limit with what we're going to do there and we're not going to change it. So, you know, and, and if you remember, you came here because, and this happens a lot. I mean, we are a small company in the grand scheme of things, but people come and say, look, they didn't like anything about the big company except the benefits. You know, you remember you came here because you wanted more opportunity, more flexibility and a promotion. Well, we don't match the same amount of healthcare that the billion dollar company you did for. So you need to really think about 
whether you can get over this or you'd rather go back to that. Or if this is going to be a bee in your bonnet, again, it's not going to change. Yeah. That's the stuff I think we just try to be honest about. So what's the ratio of uh, remote workers to in-house workers? Everyone uh, works from home on okay. a day-to-day basis. However, our, our operations team is all in Boston. Given how we operate, the teams are together a lot out at clients and events and traveling around. And I'm on a plane more than I'm at home. So we've actually used that flexibility as an opportunity to be more client-centric and focused and out at the clients rather than thinking that they will come to us. It, it does give us an advantage that everyone's on the same playing field and we can develop systems and standards. And also, I tell everyone, it forces us to do everything well. The way that we schedule the first two weeks of onboarding, because you can't sit around and just listen by osmosis, it is an entire scheduled work plan of two to three weeks of training, call, reading, listening, meeting. I actually think that it forces us to be better in most cases by having to solve for things that sometimes people just assume that will get figured out on their own. I was thinking earlier when I was talking to you about the uh, the Friday Forward, it's like, well, you could tell these people the, the kind of stuff you're talking about in person, but when you're all remote like that, I guess that makes more sense to kind of foster this sense of community because I, I would think that would be one of the difficulties. We're a small company here, but we all work in the same office. We have yeah. the ability to do remote work when we need to, but for the most part, we're all in the office. It has created a culture for us and one that we closely guard against anybody who would come in that would disrupt kind of the the flow that we have. I would think it'd be hard to build that when it's remote. And how do you kind of get around that? How do you get people to feel like they're a part of your culture? Yeah, I think one of the biggest misperceptions about a remote or distributed culture is that you can take any type of person and that they work well in it. Hmm. What we do is talk to 200 people (laughs) to find the one person that has either the experience working this environment or the qualities that we have proven that makes this environment the, the right one for them. And because everyone's on the same playing field, we every call is video by default. We have certain updates in the mornings. We have certain recordings. I've also had this analogy recently. I think it's a lot like the Navy SEALs in that in a client service team in that as an organization, it's very clear we have these principles and this thing and we get together at certain points and we all train and all that's clear. But your day to day is really your existence with the platoon. And that platoon is very close. That platoon is out at conferences and clients and on the calls with each other every day. So they actually feel really connected. We also do an event once a year where we bring in everyone called AP Summit for four days and we go deep, like it's deep leadership and training. And I I think some of the connections that are made at that event are probably deeper and more authentic than walking by someone in the office and never having found out that both of your dads died when you were younger or something that would really be a, an interesting point of connection. What do you do in that time that you think really helps foster good connections? Last year, we had employee TED Talks. We do team building exercises. We always do a volunteer thing. We do some sort of game, you know, scavenger hunt every year. And all these things have different teams. We did something, a trivia thing a few years ago. It was really interesting. Everyone broke up into groups of four and they had 20 minutes to find out the most original list of five things that they all had in common. It was fascinating. (laughs) You had to go through so many things to get to the winning team 
was something like they all had blue beta goldfish that they had held funerals for in their backyard. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know how you got to that, but I bet you there was a lot of, you know, people started with, do you have brother, father, two sisters, married, not married. And right. uh, so we do a lot of um, stuff like that. And we, you know, we do some deeper trust and vulnerability exercises with the team. I worked for a TV show and it was based mostly in Phoenix, but they had bureaus all over the country. And I was part of a, a bureau in Tulsa and we came together in Phoenix once a year and they would try and make it real interactive and try and get you to feel like part of the headquarters team. Cause that was where yeah. the majority of the people were and they would have like themed dinners. And I remember the first year it was very much like a couple people did it, but everyone was like, Oh, that's really cool. I wish I would have done that. And then the next time it was, you know, much better. And then the very last one that I went to, everyone was really like competing with each other to have the most, you know, the craziest yeah, theme going yeah. on. So it was a Hawaiian theme and I had like a coconut bra and a grass skirt and the, I did wear a shirt, but <laughs> you know, it was like everyone was going all out and it really did foster this sense of we are part of this group, even though we're not with you most of the time. And look, most people, they leave their manager or their direct team, you know, the, the, all the data shows that, yes, the, I think the company and the culture and the leadership is important. But for most people, it is the four or five people that are working with directly around them that that creates their experience. I think whatever that phrase is, people don't leave a company, they leave a manager. I think that's true. So here's an interesting question for you, and it may be a little bit vulnerable. You talk about learning, you know, how not to break yourself when you keep growing bigger and bigger. What is something that right now doesn't work as well as you want it to, and how are you improving it? We have expanded globally, and I think that that has brought the matrix to every discussion in terms of function and geography. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to, it's a key part of our, our strategy, but we're, we're trying to figure out how to have a global organization without the politics and matrix that come with it. And they're just, there's just natural tensions that come with this when you say, oh, something like marketing, well, what's controlled globally and what's controlled locally and the local people want more control. So our, you know, our mantra has been from clients, which is, global integration and strategy and local context. And we're trying to, as we hit a lot of these things for the first point, like for example, a global client, a client that works in three regions, well, mm -hmm. who owns that client? Like, is, does each region own their proportional thing? Is someone responsible for the whole thing? And then to go to that region, so they're just natural evolutionary issues, but mm -hmm. that's one we're really working through now. And I think what we do is we collect all the points of failure and try to say, okay, what are some rules and guidelines that we could use to solve these problems? Because we are determined to never be political. As one of the things people love about working here is we just don't tolerate politics at all, but there are very natural things that happen when you start working across regions. Are you in the headquarters area? Do you say Boston? Is that where you guys? In Boston, yeah. So is that where you are? That's where I am. Okay, and how many people are there in Boston? In the greater Boston area, I think we have about 30 now. And what's the farthest away person you have? Farthest away, I can tell you because I have to go there, is, is Singapore. Singapore. I would assume it's kind of a blessing and a curse because you're like, well, I didn't quite finish this up. I can push it to the guy in Singapore because he's just waking up. But at the same time, you're like, I need that from this guy and it's four in the morning. I can't really call him and wake him up, right? 
the people in the really remote places are working locally, but but we've seen that some people have traveled or want to work in other places. You know, there's some loneliness. Like no one's awake while they're awake. <laughs> and I'm like, look, I, I you know, the, the nice thing of, hey, I could finish that overnight is the same thing of like, I can't just even have this conversation because my coworker is, is sleeping. There was a, a joke when Slack was down. They were like working from home when Slack is down and it was Millhouse from The Simpsons throwing a Frisbee by yeah, himself right. and catching it. Yeah. <laughs> well, have you been to Singapore before? I've been to Australia, but I've not been to Asia otherwise. You should get the, the chili crab. It's really good. <laughs> I will. As an uh, aside, I'm focused on how I'm going to survive the longest flight I've ever been on in my life. But <laughs> after that, I'll focus on the food when I get there. <laughs> you know, one of the things I talked about earlier, I'd really encourage folks to focus on capacity building, you know, to look at their their team members. And, and this is really the subject of my second book, which weaves in a lot of the Friday Ford. But to look at it not as a, you know, a fixed resource, but something that can be grown and improved, really win-win. If you can create those sort of moments, if people can remember that they ran their first triathlon, you know, at, at the company and, you know, you paid for that, or they ran their first 5K, or they, you know, were able to be there with their parent while they're going through a difficult time. I mean, those those are things that create a lot of loyalty and a lot of motivation to to work hard. And I think people are always trying to get more productivity out of someone just in the concept of their of their job. I think you can get so much more by trying to engage that person to just be a better person and achieve more overall. So going back to the Friday Ford thing, is it kind of like the idea you see recently there's, you know, people are doing mindfulness meditation and stuff like that. They're also doing gratitude meditation. So it's like the idea you know, I know when I'm at work and there's a project that's not going my way, I feel like the entire world sucks. But if I take a step back, I can say, you know, this is just one problem, but overall my life is pretty great. You know, I have a lot of things to be thankful for. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly element of gratitude. It, it, it has a bigger theme of personal development. Uh, a friend of mine has this formula that change equals connection plus challenge. And I think that without realizing it, that's what I really focused on on Friday. You know, you, you have your coffee, it's a Friday, you're headed into the weekend, and either you read some story that makes you feel better about your life and because it's, it's you know, the person something's going through or it addresses a challenge that you're dealing with or it, I joke that it's a little more like spicy chicken soup for the soul. Like it, it's inspiration, <laughs> but it, it's not rainbows and unicorns. Like I, I talk about tough decisions and tough situations mm-hmm. and this week's is on the concept of friendly fire. But but I, I think that actually reaches the right person in, in, in a bit of a deeper way. So what's a challenge or something you're working on right now? As I do more things and write more and speak more, uh, more people want to connect with me on a one-on-one basis for 15 or 30 minutes at a time. And if I add up all those requests, it's probably half my week. I have to say no a lot more. And it's hard because my heart wants to (laughs) answer this person and help this person. But I've I've actually made all these commitments already that I, I haven't even completed and if I if I get distracted with whatever else anyone else wants to talk about like I'm I'm not making the commitments I made to my business and my family and, and my community so I'm I'm trying to have that be my one to many world and it works as one to many but then it just I'm not good at saying no and but but when <laughs> 25 people in a week ask you for 15 minutes you have to start thinking about your time and how you allocate your time I, I really need to not over schedule myself and schedule more free time and break. And I need to, I need to just own that time and say, look, that time is not available because that's my 
actually do work time or I need some rest. <laughs> yeah. The hardest part is saying no sometimes. You don't want to sound more important. You know, it's just, I literally don't have more time to give. Trying to prioritize is tough. Well, I feel very blessed that I've gotten 46 minutes, almost 47 minutes of your time now. So if people want to find you, what's the best way for them to find you online? Yeah. Best way is to go to Robert Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. That has sort of all of my stuff on there. You can find a link to Friday Forward there, or you can Google it, or it's FridayFWD.com if you're interested in signing up. And it's a very short 60-second uh, read that comes every Friday morning at 7 a.m. in your local time zone to your inbox. And you said you had some books as well? My first book, which is Performance Partnerships, performance-partnerships.com, which is on performance marketing and affiliate marketing. And I'm just finishing my uh, second book. And really, it's based on a lot of the learnings for me from Friday Forward. And so if you're signed up for Friday Forward, you'll hear about the book as it gets closer to launch. Excellent. And you said you also had a podcast? Yeah, we have a podcast as well called Outperform, where we focus on how do you outperform in marketing and how do you outperform in, in life? And we talk to people who focus on different aspects of performance. Thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you're busy. We we're just talking about that. So thanks for giving me the time and my audience the time to uh, hear some good insight from you. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to join you. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>